I read a, a piece of research by McKinsey. Uh, they, they did a, um, a study of the previous recession, so the 2008-2009 recession, and yeah. what companies did. And uh, they, they noticed that there were some companies that came out of the recession actually stronger or in a stronger market position than they were before the recession started. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they found was that um, the companies that came out stronger were those that were uh, first uh, in their in their sector. Uh, I mean, uh, amongst their competitors, the the ones that were first to uh, really implement cost cutting uh, measures. You're listening to the Vaadin Insider Podcast, a show aiming to uncover the processes, mental models, and tools that go into building mission-critical enterprise business applications. We interview business and technical stakeholders involved in the enterprise application development lifecycle and share the lessons learned from building business applications that run the global economy. In this episode, we have Ben Wilson, who is a migration practice lead at Vaadin, giving us a better understanding of what's different about IT in this economic cycle impacted by COVID-19, the three key criteria that finance leaders use to allocate budgets to digital transformation projects, and how can first-time engineering leaders today set up a business case to secure funding for their projects. So here we are, and uh, so in this talk, we'll talk about how can enterprises save money by spending money. And right now with coronavirus, the CFOs are announced, have announced already a enterprise-wide freeze, purchase freeze. I've heard stories about, you know, purchases being in procurement, signed off by all the stakeholders and then. then. Bottom line is we've had a good run over the past, what uh, now, nine years, 10 years. The last one was 2008 housing market crash, which then recovered around 2012, 13. Uh, but so you have experienced, uh, you know, a couple of downturns in the business world, but let's, let's talk about the technical IT leaders who are in director of VP positions today, 2020, and might have entered their workforce career, started at, you know, right around 2009, 10, 11. So why don't you dial back on kind of the landscape of what has been happening and what are the unexpected uh, you know, threats or, or situations that these technical leaders should uh, watch out for? Or they might not even be well equipped with uh, uh, today. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So we've been in a very unusual, uh, it's been a very unusual past 10 years um, to have such a prolonged uh, period of time with uh, with no real uh, economic downturns. It's uh, it's quite it's quite rare. So I I think you're right. We do have uh, half a generation right now in the workforce that hasn't really uh, been able to experience um, a, a recession in the workplace and, mm -hmm. and to, to to know what what really happens there. And so there's uh, a significant number of people that that don't really have the the reflexes. We don't really know if this is going to become a recession. It's, it's a bit sure. early to, to say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, we need let's, to wait. Let, let's put on the CFO hat. Let's be the pessimist right now. <laughs> but yeah. So if, if there were a recession, let's review recession and how does that impact the global economy, especially, you know, IT. Yeah, so when when recessions happen, then uh, companies tend to become quite defensive. Uh, they tend to do a number of things uh, to, yeah, very often they're they're concerned about uh, yeah, survival and profitability or, or profits more than they are about long-term profitability or scalability of uh, their uh, enterprise. Um, so uh, just generally what, what happens with companies is that their, their whole horizon for uh, any kind of return on the investments that they're making and, and, and their, their business and, and any uh, new initiatives that they're taking is, is much shorter uh, than it is uh, typically in the, uh, in, in, let's say, an economic uh, boom. 
Mm -hmm. So the, uh, um, generally speaking, yeah, I'd, I'd say the, the timeline or I'd say the horizon is typically more something like uh, between six and nine months mm -hmm. than it would be for maybe like the, the three year sort of uh, horizon that you might normally uh, expect to mm -hmm. see. Yeah. Um, and, and this has, well, a, a general effect on, you know, what, what companies are doing, how they're uh, evaluating projects, or what projects they're, they're going to support. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to, um, yeah, uh, reduce debt, um, be concerned about having enough uh, cash on hand in order yeah. to cash um, be able to yeah, deal with any sort of liquidity uh, problems that they might have from, from their own customers. Yeah. There's a whole uh, knock-on effect of, uh, of of the decrease in economic activity, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, and companies try to be uh, prepared for that. Yeah. So yeah, cash is king. They want to reserve as much cash, you know, cash flow. And then you said, um, yeah. So companies are shifting the lens from looking at a three-year horizon in terms of ROI to actually looking at multi-quarter, six, six or nine months down the road, and and that kind of yeah, it, it's a, it's a valid way to go about this. Uh, if we were to peel the layer and go from the business macro level to the IT, how does the recession impact IT in business? Uh, yeah, so it, it's going to be interesting this time around. So every recession is a, a bit different. Um, but I think traditionally, IT has always been seen as a cost center. Um, so uh, in economic downturns, the reflex has always been to go to IT and, and look for ways to, to save money. Mm -hmm. um, so cutting costs or if there's, um, let's say, an, any projects that might be uh, postponable, like upgrading uh, uh, to, to a, a new machine or something like that, or yeah. uh, uh, doing anything that would, uh, you know, have an impact on uh, capital expenditure. Uh, mm. So really large uh, projects or, or large yeah. uh, expenditures, they uh, would, would probably uh, postpone that uh, to a later stage. I mean, we, we've, got, we've got two ways to go into this. We've got, uh, on the one hand, there's the way that, um, well, 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 just that uh, computing has changed. Uh, like, um, let's say before the previous uh, downturn in 2008 um, okay. companies were basically buying servers um, yeah. and they were, they were buying iron in the previous uh, downturn we we had a set of new technologies that we could use and that was yeah. the these were virtualization uh, techniques and yeah. um, because of that people didn't really have to pay for iron so much as as they were paying for capacity and then they could use this capacity in a a much more optimized way mm -hmm. uh, so that they, they didn't have, you know, iron standing there and not, not doing anything. They were able mm -hmm. to have a, a better op well, optimized utilization of, uh, of, of their capacity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been, we've been doing that for, for a long time. And, and now with, uh, with this cycle, uh, with, with the, the, this cycle, with the uh, um, uh, cloud, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's there's a brand new model uh, coming out. That's the uh, the utility computing, where you're not really paying for capacity anymore. Or you're not definitely not paying for iron, and you're definitely not paying for capacity anymore. But you're really paying for uh, usage. Mm -hmm. uh, that means that um, yeah, that IT is becoming more competitively priced, and there's actually fewer opportunities for IT now. Uh, let's say that we do sink into a recession that IT won't be able to wave a magic wand anymore and say like, oh, uh, we can, we can uh, use our capacity in a more optimal way uh, simply by using virtualization techniques because, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not really necessarily how they're, they're doing it. Of course, right. if they have uh, iron still lying around, then this would be a, a possibility for them. Uh, this, this would be a way that they could uh, do a migration. Yeah. That they can migrate their uh, existing systems, for example, to cloud, and then this would, um, yeah, put them in this in this new utility uh, computing model. Mm -hmm. yeah. Of course, there's a cost for that, and yeah, that's it's not going to be easy for IT departments to uh, make that calculation if 
the uh, let's say shifting of let's say desktop um, uh, workloads to uh, the cloud mm-hmm. uh, it's going to take some investment of course because yeah. desktop applications don't don't run in the cloud the way that uh, you would expect them to mm-hmm. in uh, perhaps in virtualization in some virtualization technologies mm-hmm. I mean it's, it's really interesting then uh... So with uh, IT not being able to run their magic wand and uh, usage-based, you know, all the cloud vendors, AWS, Azure, GCP, they have usage-based pricing. So how does uh, IT go about uh, identifying those projects which needs to keep going on and uh, also the legacy modernization uh, that must go? For example, I'll give you, you know, I was talking to a defense one of the top four defense contractors here in the U.S. and uh, their end customer was a government, uh, U.S. government ag- agency. They had their uh, this end of life of their 25-year-old. Uh, what was the technology they were using? I'm not sure if it was Delphi or something. Uh, using C sharp, you know. So they are this end of life, and we were discussing, and this was a three-year timeline for a proof of concept MVP. Uh, but then you know my straight connection said that no we have got an order not to move forward with this for now so how does that impact the end customer which has this 25 year old legacy technology which probably has those third-party you know jars and outdated stuff that causes security vulnerabilities how do they go about assessing the risk uh, and, and is, is risk the one of the variables that people take into account when you know deciding who gets the access to the budget because companies have set budget at the beginning of this year. Their forecasting is all over the place now. Nothing is predictable. But how do they now open up the wallet and, and allocate those funds to the most impactful projects, which you're saying is going to be assessed over six to nine months over three years? Yeah, so there's, there's, really, there's really two things that will be, be golden and, and that will always be prioritized uh, that should be prioritize quite easily in a company and that's anything re- related to business continuity so you're talking about risks there so uh, and, and security problems if these things really exist mm-hmm. and uh, this is a, a threat to business continuity then, then yeah. that's for sure something that would be uh, prioritized mm-hmm. um, not, not everything will be as drastically you know as, as a drastic threat to uh, to business continuity as, as that of course but yeah. uh, only if, if that if, if you do have a genuine situation like that, then uh, that's, that's bound to be uh, prioritized. Mm-hmm. Well, not even CIOs, like, I mean, the managers who we talked about uh, ha- are facing this, you know, potential recession for the first time. How do they go about uh, going up their chain to get access to the funds? Because their time to production will get delayed and they are being measured against uh, when do they deliver their projects. So how do they go about uh, getting work done in the, with the same time scope? Well, if it's, if it's business as usual, uh, that simply needs to continue, uh, then, then this will probably uh, continue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's the, uh, the 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 new initiatives that uh, you would want to propose that would yeah, probably need some special consideration. Mm-hmm. So for you know if if the 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 business continuity isn't at risk, if there's no regulatory requirements that are uh, threatened, um, then I would say the uh, the other thing to to stress would be to make a business case. So the the classic business case then for yeah. uh, IT would be. Uh, related to the return on investment. So mm-hmm. yeah, not every developer is always thinking about return on investment or not everyone in, in IT is probably thinking of uh, in, in these financial terms. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly that's, uh, I mean, these are considerations that will float upwards in the, uh, in the, uh, in the hierarchy of, yeah, yeah. In, in the decision-making chain of, of your company. Yeah. Um, so basically what you're looking at is, uh, I mean, the, in, in its most basic uh, formula, uh, you're looking at the total cost of ownership of an IT system at a certain moment in time. And uh, you're looking to lower uh, that total cost of ownership by having some kind of investment. 
Yeah. You would be uh, in, investing in, in a project to, uh, to either to reduce complexity or to improve performance or to uh, remove redundant calculations or, or whatever it is that, that it might be, something that would uh, lower the cost of uh, that particular piece or that particular system. Mm-hmm. And basically that, that is going to cost you something to make and uh, the difference in the cost of uh, if you do nothing versus if you do do this project, well, that, that would be the business case. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'd be showing management that um, the, the cost of action Mm-hmm. is less than the, the cost, cost of inaction. Inaction, yeah. doing nothing, yeah. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, okay, so, but, but you would do that, right? So um, that, that's, but that's in, in, in its most basic form, that is the business case. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you you would do that. So um, I guess you could see. I mean, what what are the direct costs going to be? Um, that would be you know if you're actually paying uh, money in licenses or something, and you can uh, do something to to re- to reduce the number of licenses that you you need to pay, or if you're using a certain resource and you can get the job done while using less of that same resource, um, then then that can also get the job done. It it depends. You know, is is your um, total cost of ownership that that you're aiming at? Is that uh, at the hardware level or uh, the the systems level or or some kind of software uh, that it might be? Um, there's there's different things that you you can do there. The most painless would be removing excess capacity if there is capacity that you might have specifically yeah. the licenses. Yeah, and you yeah. could make the case that you know if your business. Uh, isn't growing at this moment, then you probably also aren't hiring uh, at the same right rate uh, as as you were previously. Yeah, and then uh, there would be a lower need, or, or you'd have less need for uh, for 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 license, or, or you wouldn't need uh, a buffer or a pool of extra licenses uh, that you could uh, call on uh, in order to uh, yeah be able to serve new hires uh, as, as soon as they come on board. Um, so there would be yeah, various ways where you could uh, have, have savings that way. Yeah. And of course, there's, there's complexity. All right. So Ben, let's, uh, let's talk about what is different in this business cycle and how would that be affecting IT? Yeah. So uh, this this very long business cycle that we've had since uh, let's say two thousand and nine, I, I think the underlying theme throughout all of this has been uh, decentralization. Um, so I, the, in the very beginning, uh, I think the the first signs that we saw of this were in the whole bring your own device movement, so BYOD. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were bringing uh, their wanted to bring their uh, the, the consumer grade devices, they wanted to be able to use these also in the workplace and connect them up. But of course, on these devices, they had their own uh, different browsers that they were using. So this led to, uh, yeah, some, well, it, it led to a disruption, I, I think, in, in the whole browser landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a surprise for, for a lot of people. But bring your own device, certainly this is uh, a, an, an example of decentralized uh, well, decentralization, mm-hmm. where um, it's it's not the procurement department of the the company that's that's planning this, or you know saying what kind of devices that uh, you're going to bring. Uh, you know, if if you're bringing your own devices, then then it's really you who are making the the purchasing decision there. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a, a loss of control from uh, the central purchasing. The the second thing that we've had is uh, the move to subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So uh, previously, a lot of uh, software was licensed simply by you know you would you would have a license and uh, well for for enterprise IT licenses for uh, products could could be quite expensive mm-hmm. and um, so you you really knew when uh, someone was buying a license for a piece of software and mm-hmm. we've moved into this uh, subscription. A model for uh, licensing, so it's it's not quite 
the the same thing anymore. So the the uh, the costs are, are lower, but of course yeah. you have uh, the the costs that you're paying perhaps on a monthly basis or mm -hmm. yearly basis. Um, but uh, for a lot of uh, departments, it's possible to to simply uh, make these purchasing decisions and have these decisions fly under the radar of uh, the central purchasing, uh, yeah, per, the procurement department. Yeah. So uh, there's decentralization happening there as well, and there's a lot of uh, you know control that's shifting to uh, the the users uh, as they choose whatever um, software uh, or uh, they choose uh, the tools that yeah. yeah exactly they choose the the tools that they want to work with mm -hmm. and then uh, another thing uh, is I, th I think the third thing that we've seen in in this business cycle has been uh, all of the uh, sort of digital digital transformation uh, technologies and there's a whole host of them uh, mm -hmm. so we have the uh, Internet of Things. We have uh, machine learning and chatbots. Uh, we have blockchain. We have three D printing. Mm -hmm. We have uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. We've had quite a number of these things uh, come come out uh, in in this business cycle that have really been very different uh, from uh, IT uh, as as we've experienced it before. And mm -hmm. uh, there really hasn't been a model. For companies to follow a set model that every company would uh, follow or a set of best practices mm -hmm. around these things so um it's it's very different and uh, the the only way that companies could learn how to deal with these uh, technologies has been to experiment so mm -hmm. there's been this this huge um a push this this encouragement uh, by companies to their uh, to all of their citizen developers to get out there and experiment with these new technologies and to see what kind of innovation uh, yeah. they could come up with uh, by, by by playing with these things mm -hmm. so again experimentation that's also the exact opposite uh, thing of a of a strong centralized uh, you know planned uh, control from a, a, a centralized procurement department where you would have the benefit of economies of scale. Yeah. So uh, if, if there's one uh, centralized point in, in the company where all of these decisions are, are, are being made, mm -hmm. then you've got you know, more uh, bargaining power. Uh, with uh, with the suppliers, and you can get yeah better better rates, better uh, more competitive offers, um, and um, I think a lot of companies are missing out on that because of the whole uh, the way that uh, decisions have been encouraged. Or let's say everyone in, in the organization has been encouraged in this business cycle to sort of uh, do their own thing, to experiment, to bring their own devices. Uh, and uh, just the availability of all of these subscription-based mm -hmm. uh, uh, SaaS uh, offerings uh, that people have been able to to make use of. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of um, opportunity, um, or definitely a, a lot of room for uh, companies to take back control uh, or to examine, at the very least, uh, some of these practices. Uh, and to see, okay, with all of this, uh, with all of these technologies that we've now uh, accumulated, that, that we're now using, um, what sort of a complexity is this leading to in our existing uh, infrastructure? Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do we manage that and other ways to simplify it? Because certainly uh, complexity and having lots of different kinds of technologies that need to interact with one another, um, mm -hmm. this is certainly not... Um, something that's going to lead to the the cheapest uh, way of uh, developing and also getting things integrated. So yeah. um, I, I think there's a lot of room for simplification, and I would expect, um, yeah, to, to get back to your, your the question you asked. So what is different about uh, IT in, in in this economic cycle, mm -hmm. uh, and and how you know how is this going to pan out for uh, these technologies, if we actually do come into a uh, into a full blown recession, uh, then yeah. I, I think there's going to be a lot of 
looking at things that probably weren't looked at before. And this is going to be yeah, having to do with all these things. How do pe people build business case for IT? If I were to ask you, Shin, walk me through the exact step-by-step -step process sure. that goes into building a business case for, it could be a legacy modernization or a new application development. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in the, the basic formula would be um, we need to spend some money and then um, there's an expected result. Yeah. And uh, because we're talking about a lot of money, probably, then uh, we need to find a way of making it very clear to everybody and making sure that everybody understands uh, what the actual goals are and uh, what uh, is, go is going to go into it and how we're going to measure progress uh, as uh, we go through the steps of building whatever it is, the rocket to the moon, that's uh, going to give us this, uh, this better business. Mm -hmm. um, and... Yeah, the, the more uh, details and uh, care that can go into, uh, you know, uh, different parts of, of the business case, the more uh, confidence uh, that, that people have when, when they make a decision around mm -hmm. that. So ultimately, there's, I mean, if, if you're making a business case, then there's, there's a group of people in the organization who will be uh, making a decision around that. But mm -hmm. these same people are also looking at other uh, business cases as well so yeah it's 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 to compete against other business other cases. business cases and so in that yeah. case then is there a hierarchy of uh, like a mental model perspective uh, is there a hierarchy where one strategic initiative which has its own roi and business case in place gets picked up or other like i'm speaking yeah risk is one you know um does it impact our culture does it impact, uh, you know, at an operational or low level tooling level that definitely gets pushed out. But if it's impacting something at a risk or culture at a political level and those things get picked up. So, uh, yeah. Can you like uh, enlighten us with, is there some sort of like a hierarchy of priority that uh, leaders uh, look into when making a choice between multiple business cases in front of them? Yeah, um, business continuity is is always going to uh, trump everything. Um, so if there's some sort of a scenario or some sort of risk that you know the whole business could end uh, mm -hmm. because of whatever reason, it could, it could be uh, security as we were discussing earlier, or yeah. simply because um, the the hardware or the software might not be supported anymore, and uh, there mm -hmm. might be some uh, problems coming up with it that nobody can fix. Yeah, there might be serious uh, incompatibility issues, like you know, um, there, there might be uh, hard uh, dependencies on a certain operating system, and this operating system might uh, not be supported anymore after mm -hmm. a certain time. Uh, yeah, yeah. So th these these are very these are very clear. Uh, situations and it's always going to be easy uh, for I mean I, I think this is the situation in which it's easiest for the IT person to shine uh, because they can just very I mean it, it, it's facts you don't need to speculate about the future sure. you just can say yeah. right <laughs> our business is running on this system it's not going to be supported in a few years we absolutely have to do something I mean that's that, that's a, a pretty clear uh, uh, thing for an, an IT person to communicate, and it's, yeah. it's also a pretty easy decision for uh, you know for, for for management to make. There's not a lot of uh, you know con conjecture that that needs to happen uh, in, in in yeah typically. Uh, so um, mm -hmm. that's that that would be be one particular extreme, and then we've got uh, yeah two other scenarios that's. Um, the, uh, the 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 total cost of ownership, uh, as I was explaining, that's that's probably um, it, it's also very quantifiable. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it there, there's some hypothesis. I mean, there's some conjecture that you need to make around. There's some assumptions that you you need to make, um, and uh, um, reducing the total cost of ownership is is, is something that can be you know uh, tracked. Uh, based on uh, right, have we um, have we been able to to reduce the cost in in effect, and and if so, by how much? And yeah. is this according to the, uh, uh, the is it in line with with what we originally thought that it was going to be? Mm -hmm. So we've got that, 
and then we've got uh, uh, quality. I, I think this would be uh, the in, in in the third rank. It would be uh, anything related to uh, quality of the information systems, or um, so no compromise with quality. Well, I I think companies compromise on quality quite a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that, that, okay. So, so can, can you help me help, help us understand like when you're saying quality it would be like one of the third, you know, way to assessing which business plan to pick or which business case to pick. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit on quality then? Well, you would, you would need to come up with, with a metric. So, I mean, um, risk is the easiest one because either you have, have the yeah. risk or you don't, and then yeah. there's a certain time and uh, uh, time pressure. Um, the, uh, the total cost of ownership, that's, that's also quite easy. Yep, subjective, uh, yep. it's, it's money. Yep. Uh, but then when we get to uh, software quality, then we're talking about you know, non-functional attributes of systems. And uh, every non-functional attribute will have a, a different way of uh, quantifying it. Mm -hmm. um, and these things typically don't aggregate very well, uh, especially if uh, there's multiple ones that are uh, concurrently uh, you know, being a problem. Yeah. So keeping uh, business plans uh, simple and especially anything related to uh, some kind of a software modernization being able to keep it simple mm -hmm. and keep the, the scope narrowly focused on either uh, cost risk or quality uh, is going to make it easier to uh, to, well, to, to, to have a project that's going to end successfully uh, yeah. for sure mm -hmm. uh, and it will make it easier for the, the people making the decision to understand also you know how, how is this going to be tracked mm -hmm. The, uh, what would the outcome be? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Cost, uh, total cost of ownership, there's risk, and then there's quality. Uh, you, 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 you hinted at Swing a couple of times, and uh, I can connect the dots how with uh, Swing applications, for those of you who are listening for the first time, you know, these are desktop Windows applications, and uh, uh, we have uh, bring your own devices where consumers or, you know, business and users are having their own mobile, you know, uh, mobiles, and they are accessing and downloading native applications or accessing applications on the web browser through a URL. So for my research, uh, Oracle is uh, ending Swing support in 2026, is that right? Um, it, it hasn't been confirmed that it's going to be supported beyond that date. Um, okay. That's... <laughs> so uh, for an enterprise uh, application, which is based desktop based on Swing, uh, what are the forces in play that is compelling companies to move away from that? Uh, and and think and then there's this there's there's you know there are enterprises like yeah it's working let's just you know keep it running. But now we have hit this uh, interesting uh, times. Do they have to act? Do they have to react? Or can that swing application keep running as it is with minimum maintenance costs? That's two questions. Let's first talk about what what are the forces in play right now? Why? Uh, if there's six years of runway, why should I react right now when I'm generating revenue or getting work done with that desktop application? Yeah, so um, it's it's hard to predict how long a migration project will, will take, especially if it's a, a larger system, especially if it's a system that's been under maintenance for 20 years probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's plenty of swing applications out there that are 20 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. '96 um, uh, till till now. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, in in that time, there's been uh, plenty of, of of time for the application to accumulate all sorts of new features that weren't originally uh, foreseen. Yeah. Uh, for for uh, things to change, for integration uh, with with other systems to be added. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's certainly more complex than when they uh, were originally put into production. Okay. Yeah. So um, even you know understanding how long would the uh, would the technical migration take? I mean, you've still got beyond the migration, you've got to you know you have to mobilize your uh, your resources to help. Yeah. Uh, you know, test uh, the new system. Uh, you need to. You know, come up with, with new practices for how are you going to uh, do the development on the new platform. Mm -hmm. um, you'll need new rollout procedures, new build procedures, and uh, of, of course, 
there will be people within the company who would be uh, familiar with the more modern uh, ways of building software and they'd be interested in uh, seeing those implemented also. So that means yeah, more is going to change uh, than, than just the software. It's going to be the, a lot of the, the practices and, and the tools that uh, the developers are using. Mm -hmm. So it could actually take m much longer than you might uh, expect. Expect, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, defensively starting now, um, yeah. that seems to make a lot of sense because, yeah, um, not not all migrations succeed. Some migrations yeah. end uh, for a, a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so it's good to have a backup plan yeah. in case plan A fails. Have plan B and C. So, I mean, uh, when it comes to migration, uh, there are situations where you'll have to build some of the parts in the systems from scratch, right? Uh, but the goal is always to maximize the reusability of as much as we can. Well, that that makes sense. Um, well, certainly, if there's working tested software that works fine and uh, is is tested and also known by the users and the users are familiar with that. Um, and uh, this, the software plays a critical role in, in the enterprise. And yeah, it, it seems to make sense. Um, but of course, we're making some uh, assumptions that the quality of this code is, is good enough. Sometimes it's not. Um, sometimes yeah. people are just really unhappy uh, about the state of their uh, current source code. Yeah. The maintainability can can erode, so that's that's unfortunate when that happens. But um, yeah. yeah, it ho hopefully uh, the code would be valuable, and uh, the the system would also be valuable, and uh, there would be possibilities to reuse some of that. Mm -hmm. The more, the better, of course. So, uh, with uh, in the same topic with legacy system, which is a system whose cost to build something from scratch is lower than the cost to maintain or upgrade it? What is the definition of legacy system? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few uh, definitions. So legacy systems, I've, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've, I've heard some really, really bad uh, definitions of that. I think the, the worst definition of a legacy system that I've heard was uh, a legacy system is a system that exists um i've uh yeah i i think the english language already has a word for a, a, a software that exists um and i think that word is software uh, so i don't think we need to say that software is legacy first uh, mm -hmm. in order to, to prove that it exists yeah. um, but uh, but there have been a, a number of them. one of one of my favorite ones actually was um that a, a legacy system is a system that uh, resists change mm -hmm. and uh, the the nice thing about that is is well the definition is is short uh, but it can also fit a variety of uh, situations uh, of, of legacy situations yeah. um, it could be you know it, it could fit the cost uh, problems it could fit the the risk problems or it could fit quality, the, the problem. quality problems yeah, yeah exactly. If the maintainability actually is low, then this would be a quality problem, and uh, yeah, then and it would be resisting change if uh, if it had maintainability problems. Mm -hmm. If uh, the the system just uh, costs a lot, then probably the company would not be very interested in continuing to expand even further uh, the dependency on on this particular platform or, yeah. or software that it's it's running on. Just build it from scratch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, so so what is driving the the modernization or yeah for, of swing the extra platforms if it is doing its job? Yeah, it's it's true. So from a costing perspective, uh, swing is is free. It's it's always been free. Uh, so we've just been free to install. It's been free to develop with, um, and if. And, and, and classically, when um, you know you, there, there were Java development tools on on every uh, uh, yeah, desktop, just about or, or definitely there was a Java in, on every desktop. Very often there were Java development tools also. Mm -hmm. uh, it just uh, 
so easily uh, accessible and so easy to distribute a uh, and, and, and free to distribute a, an application using Swing. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the the costs aren't one of the drivers actually. So the the drivers are, are really at this moment it's going to be a combination of uh, risks and some quality uh, criteria. So some of the quality attributes of the the Swing platform are, are starting to be. Uh, yeah, quite problematic right now for a lot of CIOs. Um, like, like what? Well, the the installability. So with the with the deprecation of Web Start and some of the other tools, and with the the just the way that desktop operating systems are now changing to um, uh, not make it as easy. You know, so they they're changing to this model of uh, app stores where everything yeah. is installed yeah. separately and, and in a, a separate little uh, compartment yeah and the java was was always like a platform it doesn't so desktop java doesn't really fit very well into the whole notion of uh, app stores where everything is is compartmentalized you would, you would have on java on desktop you would have a, a java system and uh, all the different uh, desktop applications that might use Java and also all the, the, the browsers applications that might use Java, they would be using uh, the same uh, Java just uh, on, on the operating system. They would be able to, to access that using, you know, uh, uh, some, what do they call those, environment variables. So there would be environment variables that they could call up and find out where Java was and started and, uh, and, and you could run that way. Mm -hmm. but, but this is all changing with the, the way that uh, desktops are, are are functioning now. We've had just too many problems with uh, viruses and, and malware and stuff that it just makes sense to keep all the applications that we download uh, in, in separately. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, so so that's that's driving it. And um, so the the installability uh, is is a problem and uh, replaceability. So if you want to upgrade an existing Swing application, yeah, it's become, uh, more difficult. So the, the quality points are there and then the risk, as you were saying. So mm -hmm. if um, people know that Oracle has is not guaranteeing that they're going to continue uh, supporting Swing, yeah. uh, then it's, it's a real possibility and perhaps even likelihood that they will stop supporting swing that means that uh, they won't have license to uh, to be using these these applications anymore they're, they're yeah be problematic yeah oh, that's interesting yeah i had not thought of from that angle so pretty much people the risk is you won't be able to even use it because uh, the primary vendor open source vendor is not supporting it well i guess yeah or, or you won't have or you won't have a a, a license i i don't know how um drastic uh, that's that's going to be oh it's kind of like um, out of support like with volume seven it's out of support but if you want to go use it and take the risk go go for it and yeah. just uh, you don't have anyone to help out you just your own yeah right okay uh, right. then if somebody accidentally upgrades to java 17 or whatever the numbers can be then <coughs> then um it's not gonna support uh the one that they more possibly yeah okay good well, uh, thank you, Ben. That was uh, really wonderful. Uh, do you, are you up for some quick rapid fire? <laughs> sure. So, so since your expertise has uh, been around migrating, migrating legacy systems, uh, which is actually a pretty big business problem to solve, uh, what is the largest enterprise applica legacy application that you have migrated or modernized? The, the largest one would be, yeah, some, it was somewhere, I, I would say 60 million lines of code. Six, zero, 60? Yeah, yeah. So obviously some of that would have been generated. Who wrote, hmm? Who writes 60 million lines of code? It was, it was a company in Europe. And I will say no more. <laughs> no, it's like where the developers compensated on for writing boilerplate code. Uh, again, think, you know, things are different. So what, what, what was the legacy stack uh, on that application? Uh, that one was uh, a, a mainframe. Uh, that was a, an IBM mainframe. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And how long did the whole migration take place? And if you remember the number of people involved in terms of capacity and all of that. Uh, that that was something that um, took many, many years. Um, they uh, did that in, in phases. Uh, what's the legacy 
technology that you still love to use? Yeah, so I, I, I like the simplicity of um, desktop development. Uh, I, I like being able to uh, test locally without needing uh, my own web servers and things like that in, just to, in order to run uh, my application. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like, uh, you know, affinity with, uh, with processes and threads and being able to, uh, you know, decide for myself when I want to start doing something funny with, uh, with threads, if yeah. I need that or, or not. Um, I, 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 I enjoyed desktop development uh, quite a lot. Um, because yeah, it was, it was also quite, quite predictable, uh, the way it would, uh, the way it would run. Mm -hmm. And you can also go quite deep into, well, in, into the operating systems. There's a whole lot of things going on on, on your computer, yeah. uh, that, uh, you don't have access to necessarily from a, uh, from a browser where yeah. it's, uh, it's more difficult. Um, yeah. I would say, yeah, it would be desktop. <laughs> Okay. Here's the last one. So, uh, you know, we have over 200,000, you know, community members listening to this show, a lot of developers, architects, and, you know, some CIO, CTOs that I'll, I'll, I'll share the links to them too. So let's start with developers, uh, developers working on legacy stack, legacy systems, they're responsible for modernizing. What would you advise uh, application developers working on legacy stack or legacy systems uh, responsible for being a part of their modernization initiatives, uh, considering that we are living in this interesting business cycle, specifically geared towards the, the low level folks doing the work, not the CIOs and CDOs. What should the developers watch out for? Right? Well, it's, it's, it's good to know. Um, I, I, I think, I think the, the most important thing is to be able to make a distinction between uh, the functional value of an application and uh, the technical fit of the application with uh, the, you know, the, the strategic uh, IT stack uh, that your company might have. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not just because a, a, a system is old means that, that it's bad, um, but it really is important to be able to make that distinction because business fit and technical fit are, are really two different things. Mm -hmm. And um, if, if a system, if an information system has a good business fit, yeah. even if the technical fit is bad, then uh, there, there's something valuable there. And okay. um, trying to discover where that value is and what options you have for yeah. uh, reusing that value or leveraging that, that value yeah. uh, in order to uh, you know, be, be ready for the future. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's important. I guess it sounds like uh, if I'm a, you know, up and coming developer and I have this legacy systems, I should not just uh, say this thing, this is BS, you know, this is so old and I'm just going <laughs> to start, start something from scratch, but actually go and talk to the business folks or, you know, figure out what is the business value that still exists and let's try to, you know, you know reuse or maximize its reusability. Um, but it kind of goes in line with if you're a technical, heavy technical developer, you know, think step into the shoes of the business stakeholder. And, and if something is running, even if it looks, uh, you know, from the Tyron, Tynoceros age, whatever it is I'm going for here, uh, there's a reason behind it. So go and investigate that reason. Yep. Yeah. Now, now changing hats here, now at the CIO at the CTO level, what would you advise them? Because the CFO is ordering uh, enterprise-wide purchase freeze. Uh, they have access to budgets, but they need to be, and we touched a little bit on, uh, you know, the business cases, cost, quality, and risk. Uh, even then, there's the whole, you know, some mental models that help with successful transformation versus migration, says migration projects fail a lot too. So what would you advise uh, the, you know, business leaders and technical leaders when they have to, choose between multiple business cases what should they watch out for um and and then specifically um you know CIOs. the fact that we that we might be in a recession now yeah yeah exactly yeah so um yeah in it, it, it was interesting i i read a a piece of research by mckinsey 
they, they did a, um, a study of the previous recession, so the 2008-2009 recession and yeah. what companies did. And uh, they, they noticed that there were some companies that came out of the recession actually stronger or in a stronger market position than they were before the recession started. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they found was that um, the companies that came out stronger were those that were uh, first uh, in their in their sector. Uh, I mean, uh, amongst their competitors, the the ones that were first to uh, really implement cost cutting uh, measures. Mm. Uh, so the, the 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 companies that were early. Uh, in when you know when when the uh, the the problems uh, began when the the companies that were early in uh, taking these initiatives to reduce costs they were better positioned uh, late in the stage of the uh, uh, recession then uh, and they were able to get ahead of, of their competitors because they had yeah, more more cash and availability on hand mm-hmm. so yeah probably. Um, I would say CIOs at this moment, if they're looking at uh, their uh, portfolio of applications, yeah, and definitely see what uh, can be done to reduce the cost directly uh, by, uh, if, if possible, to migrate to uh, cheaper platforms or to open source, mm-hmm. or uh, to consolidate a few things, so to reduce the number of uh, different technologies that uh, are in existence that might be contributing to complexity and uh, you know, more expensive uh, integrations between uh, different uh, technology stacks. Yeah. Um, those things I would say would be yeah, great initiatives. And of course, if um, they, they can do this with a horizon that makes sense, uh, you know, so if, if they can uh, find ways of, of, of getting these cost savings within uh, six to nine months, then uh, that's probably the best thing that that's the right sort of uh, uh, that's, that's the right sort of horizon for uh, these these sorts of recessions. Mm-hmm. Of course, we don't know for sure that we're in a recession, but possibly we are. <laughs> and that's a wrap up for this episode. If you're interested to be a guest in the show or you have topics you would like to learn more about related to enterprise application development, find us at vadin.com slash podcast. Thank you.